You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com All right, friends, welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. Welcome back. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan, where it is currently Tuesday, the 25th of September, 2012. For those of you stateside and everywhere else, thank you once again for tuning in for tonight's edition of the broadcast. And just before we get into the broadcast proper, I'd just like to pick up from where we left off on Friday night, where where I was giving away, <clears throat> excuse me, I was giving away free copies of my new DVD, that's the, called The Last Word, and it's a compilation of seven episodes of The Last Word video commentary series that I did in 2011. And on Friday night's edition of the broadcast, I gave away, uh, well, it was supposed to be one free copy, but I actually had three respondents within a few minutes of each other. So rather than be a stickler, I decided to give a free copy to each of them. So congratulations to Dave, Doug, and Glenn. And both Doug and Glenn are in Oregon. So uh, Oregon well represented out in the listening audience. Once again, if you're interested, there is more information on CorbettReport.com, and I am getting the, uh, the first batch ready to ship out right after I go off air. So I will be sending out emails once your order has shipped out, just to confirm that. Once again, all the details are there on CorbettReport.com, and all the videos are available for free viewing online, so there's no obligation to purchase, but your purchases do help to keep this media coming. And on that note, speaking of independent media and media worth subscribing to, we have on the line with us tonight Carrie Lutz of the Financial Survival Network at FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com. And listeners might remember we had him on, I believe, one or two months ago here on the broadcast, but it's always good to have him back on. He's a wealth of information on so many different subjects, and if you're not subscribed to the Financial Survival Network podcast, you are missing out on a ton of financial information. I don't know how you do it all, Kerry. You're you're a man of uh, many talents and many, many interviews, so my hat's <laughs> off to you for all the work that you're doing there, and uh, thanks for joining us tonight. Hey, James. Thanks for uh, having me back on again. I mean, God, there's so much happening. And, you know, I think you appreciate it. And uh, I think if, if if you're alive right now and you're uh, living through this, you appreciate the fact that things are happening so quickly. There is no way to really keep track of everything. You need a multitude of sources, which means you need to be listening to James. You need to be going to FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com. You need to be going to a lot of different places, getting as many different views as you can, because none of us, um, I, th- I think you'll concede that, James, have all the answers. If we're lucky, we have a few. And you need to have an open mind and you need to, to really prepare for the global reset if we're lucky, a global reset that's that's coming uh, down the pike. It's getting closer and closer. Well, as much as I'd like to be able to claim omnipotence, I think I'll have to forswear that for the time being. And uh, yes, absolutely, I concur. No one can keep their eyes on all of the balls that are being thrown at us. So at, at any rate, let's uh, let's focus in tonight on what's happening in the macroeconomic sphere. But not only so much happening there, but I understand there's a lot happening uh, even in your own personal life right now. You've just gotten back from a conference. You're, you're preparing to move. Uh, a lot going on at the Lutz household right now, I guess. Oh, got it. It's nonstop. I mean... You know, uh, I was at the Chicago Hard Assets Conference, also known as Hard Assets Chicago, and uh, there were all sorts of mining companies there. Happily, the ones that are left are much more optimistic and upbeat and much uh, much more realistic in their prospect of 
producing metals, which we're all going to need uh, a virtually uh, unlimited supply of. And yeah, I'm getting ready to move uh, move the uh, studio down to Florida for the winter at least to a warmer climate and uh, get to do some swimming and biking through the winter. And I, I can hardly wait. You know, sounds nice. I'm uh, I'm jealous. So I'll be freezing freezing my little assets off here in Japan in a, a cold, <laughs> uh, no central heating house. But uh, on uh, that note, let's just take a short break. We're coming up against our first break. We'll be right back once again tonight, talking to Carrie Lutz of FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com. <laughs> All right, friends, welcome back to the program. Here we are on this Monday night edition of Corbett Report Radio. We're talking to Carrie Lutz of the Financial Survival Network. Once again, that's financialsurvivalnetwork.com. And it's a one-stop resource of information on all things related to economics, finance, and investment. So I hope you will check it out if you haven't done so yet. Once again, I can't stress how many different audio interviews are coming out on a daily basis there. It's uh, it's enough for uh, to fill anyone's plate with all sorts of information and on all sorts of uh, different aspects related to the ongoing global economic collapse. And as Kerry was just saying there before the break, there is so much going on that it's impossible to keep our eyes on everything, but uh, it's uh, difficult to even know where to begin. But Kerry, let's start with that uh, that Hard Assets conference that you were just attending in Chicago and what you uh, saw there and what, uh, what, what the uh, mood of the people there was. Well, it's interesting. You know, this is the first time they've had a Chicago Hard Assets conference. So there wasn't a lot of attendees there. But I have to tell you, amazingly enough, 10, 15 people came up to me who were listeners of FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com and uh, uh, of the Corbett Report also. A lot of uh, your fans were out there because I said, what other shows do you listen to? And uh, we went down a list. I said, what about uh, James Corbett? And most of them were listeners as well. Uh, The the caliber of company, because it's kind of like what's happened in the junior miners, mining sector, is that uh, that the uh, herd has been thinned. A lot of the marginal companies, the companies that really had little or no ability to find and exploit a resource, either to develop it themselves or to sell it off to a major, they have been eliminated. They're in dormancy. Very few of them have actually gone out of business. They're praying for better times ahead for the juniors. But what's happened is that the companies that were left there, almost uh, 90% of them, I would say, were high-caliber junior miners. And the people running these companies now, they've seen often uh, 20% or higher uh, run-up in share prices on the UE and uh, the the miners, unhedged miners index. All this has happened since we spoke last, so there's a lot more more optimism in the mining sector, and that's because gold and silver have taken off, you know, and they're up uh, high 1700s. Silver's back over uh, over 34 dollars an ounce after having been rated today, and they tried to get it under 34. But it's back over 34, and you know the whether you believe in the uh, rigging of the markets or not, you have to notice that there's patterns in the in the precious metals markets have really changed over the past six weeks or eight weeks. Uh, 
It's gone to a much more bullish formation. And uh, this is the season where gold and silver go up. And once silver breaks 35, I'm of the opinion, a lot of my guests are of the opinion, that that's a major resistance point that will be taken out. And you will shortly see silver hit new highs, gold as well. I mean, they both are perfectly poised. And I don't think there's anything that's going to stop them. Uh, will it happen in a month, two months, or six months? I can't predict that. I don't think anyone can. But you know, you got to feel that it's going to happen. I mean, since we talked with QE3 come in, which is just, we're not going to have a QE4 because this QE3 is ongoing, consistent, regular purchases. And my feeling is there will be escalating purchases of government-backed securities, government securities directly issued by the federal government, by the Federal Reserve. That has to lead to more inflation. Certainly, it is an undermining of faith in the various governments around the world. And all of this is happening now. That's why I say so much is going on, Middle East blowing up, everything else. You just can't keep track of it. I mean, I try to do my best like you during the day, James, but how do you how do you know what's going to happen next? How can you tell? It's, it's just so volatile and so in flux. It's absolutely right. So let's let's dwell on the uh, mining stock issue for a moment because I, I myself don't play the markets and I, uh, I, I, I'm not really interested in it. But if I was going to be investing in the markets, I would probably be looking at gold mining stocks, uh, junior mining stocks as a potential investment because of the discrepancy between the rise in gold price we've seen over the past few years versus the the lack of rise in sto- mining stocks uh, what do you think is between behind that discrepancy and do you see an investment opportunity there yeah well without getting into tinfoil hat stuff and and manipulated markets which we just have to accept manipulation control of the markets is just a fact of life nowadays but the other thing is that uh, that this run up of gold and silver i mean look you go back to 2000 I bought my first uh, gold, I think, in 1999 or early 2000. I paid $282 an ounce. Not that I'm a genius. I just had the opportunity. Somebody had some gold. They wanted cash for it. And I said, you know what? You never know. Silver was 4 or $5 an ounce. Now, here we are. We're 12, 13 years later. Gold is at $1,770 an ounce. Silver is over $34 an ounce. So you've seen silver go up uh, almost ninefold, and you've seen gold go up uh, just about sixfold, probably about sixfold. And, you know, the, the amount of skepticism that this bull market in precious metals has been met with, people just don't believe that it, it can happen. And, you know, these miners are not followed by Wall Street. You know, at this conference, there were virtually no no analysts there from the major brokerage companies, and that leaves uh, not a lot of financing. There's not a lot of uh, of places to go for cash when they need it. And then the other thing is regulations have changed, and now the uh, everything you need to know about miners pretty much gets published on their websites. So. There's no big major dog and pony shows like there once was before they they required this 43101 drilling sample where all samples taken from a mine in order for you to be able to be allowed to mention them in your press releases, in your public filings, 
has to be analyzed in a certain means, and everything is, is regulated. So the mining stocks uh, kind of lost a bit of their their sparkle by these new regulations, which these regulations are very good. They really do protect people. They give an added layer of transparency to the function, the way these mining companies function and raise capital. And I do believe they keep out some marginal operators. But, you know, in the final analysis, James, you have to protect yourself. And that means that you need to be watching these companies and analyzing them and following certain analysts who, I believe, really know what they're doing. For instance, any company that I saw at that conference, and there are a lot of them, that Sprott, Eric Sprott, Sprott Resources, Rick Rule invested in, I know those companies, that gives them an added level of credibility. So when you see these really well-heeled investors putting money into these stocks, you know that eventually the value will be realized for instance, one company I interviewed last week, Banks Island Gold, they're trading for the equivalent of $5 an ounce in the ground. And that is just a fraction, a piddly amount of what the gold is actually worth once they get it out. And they have a proven resource that is going to be producing in a matter of months, if not a year. So... There's been a lot of misunderstandings about the sector, and people have been burned in this sector over the years to the point where, just like the rest of the market, the public has dropped out. Exactly right. But as you say, there's more transparency now, and there's some signs that there's some, some big moves to be made. What what do you think about playing the markets in general? I mean, I just don't have the money to play with that, so I whatever I, little savings I have, I pl- I'm plowing straight into precious metals, uh, to physical precious metals. But, but what do you think about people who are, are wondering about the, the markets in general? Obviously, in times of great destabilization, there's also ups and downs where profits can be made. Do you, what do you think about playing those markets? Yeah, that's a really interesting question because I am always grappling with it, James, because the easiest thing is, and understand, you know, I always have to say this in the U.S. because these are our stupid laws. I'm not a financial analyst. If you listen to me, you're definitely going to lose all your money. I'm not giving you advice, period, and you'd be an idiot to listen to me even if you thought I was. But, you know, with all that stuff out of the way, look, my personal thing is, you know, have a core precious metals holding, secure it away from your home. That is super important, and I've got ways of doing that. And then if you have some money left over, if you're well-heeled enough to be able to have a, a portfolio, put some into uh, to, to funds that actually own the metal, guys like CEF, like the Sprott funds, and I don't get anything from any of these people, no stock sponsorships, but... You know, then if you've got five or ten percent left of your portfolio and you've got all the gold and silver that you need that and that's a subjective individual thing like you know, James, you have to determine how much gold, how much silver you want to own, what form you want to own it in, that's really important because look you you know, a kilo bar costs you fifty some odd thousand dollars and it's gonna be real hard to be to buy a loaf of bread with the equivalent of $50,000, whereas if you have a roll of pre-1965 dimes that are 90% silver, you know, a dime will probably buy you an ounce of bread no matter what happens to the world. After you take all that into consideration, if you still have some surplus funds, 
if you have a cash flow coming in from other sources, good job or whatever, then you consider playing the miners because they give tremendous leverage. When you can buy the equivalent of gold at $5 the ounce in the ground, and it's not even, James, it's not even in there very deeply. It's a shallow mine. It's an open pit mine. They're just going to take it out, and it's in Canada. I mean, you know, then why not? It's like a steal on every level, doesn't it? All right, we're up against another break. We'll be right back after these messages. All right, friends, welcome back. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. I'm your host, James Corbett, CorbettReport.com. Tonight we are talking to Carrie Lutz of the Financial Survival Network, and if you just put a .com on the end of that, you will get his website, FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com, where, as I say, there's so many interviews coming out on a daily basis on all sorts of matters, financial, economic, social, and otherwise. And uh, for those of you who are subscribed to the Financial Survival Network podcast, you might have noticed that yours truly, James Corbett, was a guest recently. Carrie was good enough to have me on. We talked a little bit about the Corbett Report and how I got uh, started in all of this media. So if you haven't checked that out, you might want to check that out in the archives there at the Financial Survival Network. But Carrie, let me turn the tables on you and uh, use my opportunity at this end of the mic to ask you about the Financial Survival Network and how you got started with this and, and really what prompted you along the uh, the road to starting your own media outlet. Well, it's really funny, James. Uh, my second day of college, actually it was my first day of college, second class, was a speech teacher, and we each had to do a brief public uh, public speech that we just made up on the fly and I always loved public speaking. And she listened and she said, oh, you have a beautiful voice. You could be on radio. And uh, I'm thinking, you know, I don't think so. You know, I think the DJ, average DJ in the mid-1970s made 15000 a year. And they didn't get much respect. I remember my father making fun of uh, the DJ, that just spinning records and talking to himself. And it just didn't seem like, like anything I'd want to do, but it really put a bug in my ear. And then talk radio took off. In talk radio, there was, there was always around in New York, kind of started here on a fringe station. And my father used to listen to it, and I got into it. And then one day I said, you know, I could do that. And it was on my bucket list of things to do by the time I hit 55. And I figured, always figured they'd never let me on the radio. I would have to go buy a radio station which I figured I'd put together an investor group and just do it. And then this thing, the Internet, came out where anybody could be on the radio who wanted to be. So I started a, with a terrestrial show um, talking about how to fix your credit and get back in the credit system. But my heart was always in precious metals, mining, resources, and preparing for this economic collapse that to me was all but inevitable and nothing's happened to change my view of that, and I just started doing a show once a week, and then I said, you know, if I really want to get good at this, if I really want to connect with people and really get the message out there, I have to be doing this a lot more than my association with the company I was doing the credit consulting for ended, and then I said, this is my opportunity. If I don't do it now, and I was 52 then or 53, but if I don't do it now, I am never going to do it, and you know, I started with equipment like you. I had this thing called a blue snowball mic, a total piece of garbage, hooked up to my Mac with the garage band. And I didn't even know how to write a segment, let alone read it. And 
my first shows, which are on iTunes, you could hear them, but I prefer you didn't. Uh, I really not proud of them, but I am proud of it. I kept doing it, even though I was so terrible. And after about 50 or 60 of them, like, hey, I think I can do this thing. And then I upgraded my equipment, my software, all the tools, the microphone. And before you knew it, you know, I sounded like a pro. And I kept doing the terrestrial show because I just enjoy live radio of people calling in and just people hearing me, connecting with me live. But, you know, I started, you know, our common, our mutual departed friend, Bob Chapman. I sent in an email that said, I had been communicating with him anyway about mining stocks, about gold and silver, the economy. I said, hey, would you be a guest on my show? And he was so gracious. You know, without any hesitation, he said yes. And that turned into a friendship. He was on every couple of weeks. And then, you know, John Rapino over at Dollar Collapse. And then I said, you know, I can go, I can go ask anyone to be on the show. The worst they'll do is say no. And I started getting more and more people. And now I have somebody who just books people for me and does all the post-production. And all I do is write, write material and interview. And it's this evolution, like you said. You start with this crummy equipment, and then it takes hold of you. And you realize, I think just like you said, this is what I was born to do. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is what I am better at than any other thing I've ever done. And this is what I will die doing or maybe not die doing, but uh, that I'm going to do for a long period of time that really has meaning and really, really just uh, makes life so much better when you're doing something that you're passionate about. I, I think I'm probably going to die doing it. They'll have to pry my cold, dead hands from my microphone. <laughs> but, uh, well, absolutely. And that's a story that resonates so well with me because obviously it's similar to my story in a lot of respects. And I hope it will resonate with some of the listeners out there because I guarantee there's at least one person out there listening to us right now who thinks, so. Oh, I don't know if I have it in me. I don't know if I'd be any good at it. And, um, hey, maybe the first time you try it, you wouldn't be. But the 10th time or the 50th time or the 100th time you try it, you'll be better and and uh, that, that's really the secret to all of this. There's, there's no secret at all. It's just uh, perseverance and hard work. So, uh, so my hat's off to you for persisting and, and keeping expanding because I think your uh, work that you're doing is so valuable. And I know that you're working on some other things behind the scenes, books, etc., that uh, we'll tell people about after this break. If there's anyone out there who would like to get in on the conversation, ask a question of Kerry or make a comment, 1-800-313-9443. That's 1-800-313-9443. We'll get you up and on the air. So let's take a short break. We'll be right back once again talking to Kerry Lutz of the Financial Survival Network right after these messages. All right, friends, welcome back to the program. Once again, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. And once again tonight, we are talking to Kerry Lutz of the FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com. And I hope you will go there to check out the work that uh, Kerry is doing. And as I mentioned before the break, he's working on a number of things, including moving to uh, Florida for the winter, which would be uh, a nice place to broadcast from, I'm sure. And he's also working on a book. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that, Kerry? Sure. Well, uh, you know, honestly, I've been a resident of the People's Republic of New York for so many years now. And, uh, you know, I guess I could I could take paying the taxes 
and all the uh, collectivist nonsense that you go through living here. And I mean, it's really, it's getting to be a Stalinist uh, theme park with the, the big gulp band, all these bands that Bloomberg uh, is engaging in that I'm just sick of. But I don't live in Manhattan, fortunately. But, you know, I just am tired of the cold winters and I just need a change of climate. So that's what it's really about. And how about the book? Well, the book, uh, it's evolved quite a bit over the past year that I've been writing it. But uh, basically the title is Forget Wall Street, Go for the Gold. And in it, we we really do a, uh, a thorough analysis of central banking, of the historic roles of gold and silver underlying uh, ancient money up until very recent times, uh, you know, arguably until 1971, but really up to the 30s is really when we had uh, metallic-based money. Um, and then we, we traced the history of paper money, which started in China, and uh, Marco Polo was there, and he was amazed. He thought it was the most brilliant invention he'd ever seen, that you could just create wealth with a printing press. And then he witnessed hyperinflation, and the Chinese called it flying money because no sooner would you get it in your hand than it would fly out and when you had to buy something. And, you know, the history of paper money is just replete with examples of hyperinflation and monetary abuse by the government through legal tender laws. And, and then we get finally to current times where we're going through what arguably is the death of fiat money in the world, whether it's in the U.S., China, or Japan, or Australia, Canada, the euro, take your pick. It all seems to be dying a very inglorious death. And what's going to be left in the end is some system that is somehow connected to gold and silver. Probably gold, but I don't really see any alternative. So that's why you need to Stop thinking about paper and really go for the gold, which is what I called it. But like I said, that doesn't mean that you can just drop out of the system tomorrow. And uh, assuming that these mining companies will still exist after the new monetary regime comes in, they'll probably be more valuable than ever. Well, it raises uh, some interesting points there. For example, what's your take on the, the modern greenbacker movement and the idea that if we could just get uh, government control over the printing press instead of Federal Reserve control, then we could uh, use this system for our benefit and we could do, use it wisely at, and guard over it. What, what's your take on that idea in general? Yeah, that's that Ellen Brown thing where we just print it directly. We don't sell it. To, we don't have the central bank, uh, you know, we don't give a bond to the central bank, then the central bank writes a check, and then the debt gets sold off to banks, and they earn interest. And, you know, it's nice theoretically because 70% of the U.S. debt is interest, which means we're effectively paying interest on interest, which is not a long-term strategy for success, let's face it. When you pay interest on interest, it means you can't even afford to pay the interest back so you're paying interest on that. But, you know, the fact is that virtually all government debt is bad. It all gets defaulted upon. And it doesn't matter who prints it up or who issues it. 
it's going to go bad at some point in the future. And we're just going to have to relearn that lesson. The key is don't allow government to go into debt except in the most extreme, dire emergencies. Outlaw debt. And Martin Armstrong, who's a frequent guest on the show, who's a worldwide leading monetary authority, has done a 1,000-page book on the history of government debt. And finally, it could have gone on for a few thousand more pages, but the publisher said, we're, we're not printing a 5,000-page book on this. So he had to cut it to 1,000 pages. But the pattern is it's just incredible, James. You know, you just see it again and again. An area becomes affluent, becomes wealthy. The government starts giving out goodies so they can increase their power. They give out more and more. They borrow and borrow and borrow. Then their credit goes bad. Then they default. Then they decline. And this is dozens of times back to the city-states of the Middle Ages. It just keeps happening and happening. So, you know, it's not the money that's the problem. It's the debt that is that is the hallmark that governments are allowed to issue to make to back up their promises that otherwise they would never be able to keep and they would be banished for making. Well, I, I, I'm very much in line with that. I think anything would be better than our current debt-based system, so I'd rather see something like that direct issue of money, but I still don't believe that that could ever be controlled properly or that it would ever not devolve into hyperinflationary printing. So that's a, an option that's off the table for me. But on the other side, with the gold standard, I, I see the value of gold as a store of value, but as a medium of exchange, I find it to be highly problematic. And I think we have to start thinking of uh, more creative ways to separate that. So so what's your take on things like Bitcoin and other other ideas for different forms of um, transferring money around the globe instantaneously without government tracking? I mean, I love that concept of Bitcoin, and I think competing currencies and allow the government's currency, if they insist upon having one, to be subject to the vigors of competition. You know, Bitcoin... I've talked with people about it. I know it's open source. Theoretically, it's impossible to create more. But, you know, we've got the best hackers in the world working for the NSA. I don't know what can stop them from any algorithm and creating creating money out of thin air. You know, I just am nervous about it. But if some people want to take seashells or other people want to take green stamps, if you remember them, from when you were kids, where you used to go buy groceries or cigarettes or whatever, and they'd give you stamps, and then you could collect the stamps and redeem them. Whatever people are willing to accept as money is acceptable. And then nowadays with technology, this can happen on a massive scale, just like gold money, James Turk's outfit. You know, they've got several billion dollars in precious metals they're holding that you can instantly use convert to any currency in the world and buy something with and you've even got peter schiff who's got a bank in the an offshore bank in the grenadines i think who's stocking up on gold and then you get a debit card and you have an account with x number of grams and as you charge stuff your account gets gets deducted the equivalent value of whatever currency you're using and then you can put more gold in and, you know, if, if dollars are so wonderful, if euros are so wonderful, 
if Yuan and uh, Yen are so great, then what are they afraid of competition? Let the people choose what type of money they want to use. I mean, that's the way it worked in the United States for an awful long time. That's exactly right. Whenever you have the monopolization of something so vital as as the monetary system itself, you know that there's got to be manipulation at play and and centralization that only works in the hands of a very few. So uh, again, I I agree, there needs to be competition and people need to be free to, to be able to exchange what they want to exchange in the way they want to exchange it. And that's the type of uh, free market that, that we're talking about, not the uh, the crony capitalist free market that, that people are talking about. Well, uh, it, it, there are so many different ways in which uh, uh, the numbers can be manipulated and, and markets can be cornered and manipulations can happen in all sorts of different ways. And we know that there is some basis to, to all of this underlying the system. What, what are some of the most egregious things that you've come across in your years at looking at this issue of, of things that you've seen happening in the markets or happening? in the financial system itself that uh, that is just uh, brazen examples of, of the very few using the system to their advantage. Oh, God. Well, let's, let's talk about MF Global. Let's talk about the bailout that took place where the Fed just wrote checks for $16 trillion and bailed out all these banks, allowed their failed management to stay there, didn't exact a toll on the shareholders, or creditors of those institutions, and simply allowed the perpetuated the system that was already corrupt, and allowed these people, you know, to get allowed the banks to earn profits, non-existent profits, and allowed the managements to get these outrageous, undeserved bonuses. I mean, you know, the list goes on and on. The abuse to individual rights, people doing things that. Uh, that are totally innocent and, you know, you've seen people accidentally bring handguns into Washington, D.C. from a jurisdiction where it's legal and they, by accident, did it and they wind up arrested and it cost them a fortune to get out of trouble, to hire an attorney. And, you know, the list goes on and on as the power of the government expands. You know, it just goes on and on. I mean, it's as long as your arm, and any place where the government intervenes, you have injustice. Any place where they're manipulating the market, where they're influencing the market, where they're causing malinvestment, like the real estate boom, all the fraud that took place, all the mortgage fraud, all the appraisal fraud, all of that stuff was brought on by easy money, by the basic uh, allowing of Fannie and Freddie to be used as dumping grounds for valueless mortgages, and then they reissued them, securitized them, and it went on and on. And, I mean, you know, these things are just monumental, James. They just keep mushrooming and expanding, and just when you think it can't get any worse, it does. I mean, I had a cartoon up on my site, and it was really kind of amusing, but not really that funny. It said, give a man a gun, and he can rob a bank. Give a man a bank and he can rob the world. And that's what I feel like it is. 
It, yeah, it would be a lot funnier if it wasn't true, I suppose. But uh, but yeah, it's a good point. Well, well, Carrie, if I didn't know you better, I'd say you were waking from your, your statist slumbers. It sounded like you were implying that government fraud and coercion is the base of all of this. And without the government regulatory systems in place, we wouldn't be the, the, no one would be able to, to take that accrued power and use it as the, as the big club to beat everyone else down in the economy. Yeah, well, you know, uh, government uh, is the thumb on the butcher's scale. And, you know, whenever the government gets involved, there's they pick the winners and losers rather than the market doing so. And I'm totally against uh, virtually all the forms of regulation other than um, instances where the government acts to protect individual rights. It's not a perfect system. It can't be because man is involved. But the regulatory democracy just leads to, to undemocratic results, unfair economic results, and destruction, and it impoverishes all of us. We all are the poorer when a new drug doesn't get through the FDA that could generate profits for its manufacturer and help people, all because the FDA didn't like a study. And, you know, it just goes on and on. You know, in every aspect of society and the economy, the government's there ostensibly trying to help people, but but you and I probably suspect they're there to expand their power and extract their tribute. Unfortunately so, and you raise a good point, because all of this is so interlocked and interconnected, and it relates to regulations, for example, of the uh, the FDA regulating the, the health uh, sphere, and, and it, it goes into so many different aspects of this. And something that you raised earlier, a point that you raised earlier, is that now we see the tensions rising in the Middle East, we see the tensions rising here in East Asia, possible military actions stemming over island disputes and things like this. Uh, definitely, it seems we're moving into a period of general destabilization, perhaps you can address how is this economic destabilization really feeding into a greater, well, well a tension strategy uh, of, of warfare that, uh, that can be used to distract the public from what's happening in the economy? Yeah, you know, uh, if I were a cynic, I would say that uh, governments invariably, when economies go bad, they look for external enemies and they want to blame it on somebody else. They never really want to get to the underlying reasons why the economy is tanking. And it's always somebody else's fault. Like, these guys work too cheap. They don't have unions, whatever. And the other guys are no different. And, you know, it's, it's one world. It's You, you can't... Uh, these excuses, I think, are wearing thin to go to war. And I think we're all fed up with it. And, you know, I think, like, uh, do I want my kids going off to fight some war? Even if they even if they volunteer to go, do I want them going off to fight an unjust war, an unnecessary war? Uh, I don't even want to get into the conspiracy theories and all that. I just believe that war is a racket and that the powers that be, the elites, clean up on it and... Why do we have to uh, have to engage in this for corporate welfare? It's just, you know, in in my book, I talk about how my father uh, was in World War II and uh, he flew the hump, which was flying uh, over Mount Everest, the Himalayas from India to China. It's called the Hindu Burma Kush because the 
overland uh, supply route was blocked by the Japanese. And originally, when he started out, you know, he was bringing cannons and, and war material. And then when the war was winding down, he was bringing bats of ketchup, uh, feminine hygiene products, all sorts of different American brands. And the war became a corporatist effort to, to inculcate U.S. brands in India and China, hook them on our cigarettes, hook them on all of our different uh, high-quality brands, and they were good brands. But why should my father have been risking his life to spread the American corporate way? And that's, that's not right. If you accept everything else, the righteousness of World War II, which there's plenty of arguments to go around, that one, that they should be risking their life transporting consumer products to uh, what were third world countries, no justification for it. And yet, the more cynical among us would argue that that was the intent of the war in the first place. Well, war is an adjunct of economic imperialism? Why, I never. All right, we'll be right back after these <laughs> messages. All right, welcome back. This is Corporate Report Radio on the Republic Broadcasting Network, and you are tuned into republicbroadcasting.org, and I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. Tonight we've been talking to Carrie Lutz of the Financial Survival Network. Once again, FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com, a one-stop shop for all sorts of information on the economy and finance in general. So, Carrie, just in the uh, final few minutes here, let's tell people about the Financial Survival Toolkit and the weekly newsletter that you have and whatever other sources of information might be available for people there at your website. Oh, sure thing. Well, the toolkit, just uh, a number of uh, actions you can take, a number of go-to websites and shows of which we will have the Corbett Report on there when we update it shortly. Uh, My 50 or so go-to websites every day, Places to buy food, reputable uh, gold and uh, silver bullion dealers, and other precautions that you should think about taking because we are living in such uncertain times and there's so much going on. And then the newsletter, I generally write a message to the more devoted listeners who've signed up at financialsurvivalnetwork.com, talk about the week's activities. This week I was discussing precious metals, market rigging, and then we've got a list of every uh, interview we've done during the week. And, you know, there's a lot of interesting things on there. Uh, the site, you know, I have my webmaster, Stefan B., who, uh, who is a human content aggregator. A lot of sites you go to, they use RSS feeds, and you'll get a lot of extraneous stuff in there. Stefan has, on his computer at any given time, over 100 windows open with different free-thinking websites, and he looks at the articles and thinks whether or not you'll find them interesting. And most often you do. We get tons of comments. And when people go to the site, they stay on there, James, for 11 minutes, which is like, uh, I don't stay on many websites. That's minutes. an eternity oh. in, in web terms, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All right, excellent. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. We're right up against the end of the program. But, uh, Carrie, I know you've been uh, busy today and uh, you weren't prepared or organized for today's interview, but you did excellently well and always a pleasure to talk to you. Tons of information. So I hope people will check out FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com. Carrie Lutz, thank you so much for your time tonight. Hey, James, thank you. Always a pleasure. Keep up the great work. 
I become a major fan of your show myself. Try to catch it as often as I can. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you again in the future. Great. Bye. All right, there he goes, friends. Kerry Lutz, FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com. Once again, this is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, just reminding you that my latest DVD, The Last Word, is available now for purchase from CorbettReport.com, so you can pick that up at CorbettReport.com. Details are all there, and of course, as always, all of these videos are available freely online, but your support does help to make my media possible, so thank you to all of you out there for supporting The Corbett Report, and we have some interesting broadcast lined up this week. I'm excited about them. We also have Michelle Chosodovsky coming on as a guest later on in the week to talk about weather manipulation and weather warfare. Some fascinating guests, fascinating topics, so I hope that you'll uh, join us for that. Until then, thanks for listening and take care.